Um, yes, unfortunately, Linda was crook today. Now, oh, excellent. And so I'm, I'm Silly's gap filler. And this is a, um, uh, also known as Colin, and this is a, thank you kindly, I'll speak into this, multitasking. 2013, I went to Bangladesh, and on day two, three freshly arrived Kiwis were put on a bus. It was going to take three to nine hours of travel. We didn't know how long. And uh, we were told a whole bunch of things. We were told uh, not to make sure that we didn't drink much because we wouldn't be able to go to the toilet for three to nine hours. We were told that if um, someone came along with yep. it's a, if someone came along with a, a gun and boarded the bus, we should give up whatever we owned. Okay, just give it to them. Uh, they were quite worried about us. They kept ringing us, um, both the people who put us on the bus, because we. I spoke enough Bangladesh to say welcome, thank you, and in the end, one of us did have to go to the toilet. And so I was able to say um, hello in, in Bengali uh, in, in Bangla and I need, and then gesture, um, though it wasn't me that needed to. Um, but I kept getting phone calls from both the people who were receiving us, waiting for us to arrive, and the people who'd sent us saying, where are you? And uh, well, I had a fancy phone in those days. This is 2013. It had GPS on it, and it could not get a GPS signal. And I'm looking out the window of this bus, and there's only one sign that is in English, and it's a sign for an English language college. Makes some sense, doesn't it? Um, so I would say, oh, I don't know, but I've seen a sign for, and I'd name the, the, the name that it had on it, but which was an entirely different part of the country. So it would be like ringing me up on the South Island and say, oh, I'm in Auckland. And you'd say, we can't be in Auckland, but that's the only thing I could see in English. It's, they kept asking me, where are you? And it's really tough if you don't know where you are. Anyone had this? You just, people keep asking you. I had friends who came up to um, Christchurch um, during the big earthquake, and they were in Science Alive building, which all went dark, and they were sort of shuffled outside. And they had their car nearby, so they went to their car and thought, well, what should we do now? Um, and they pulled out the map of Christchurch to have a look, and they had complete, they had locals come up to them and say, I've lived in the city all my life, but can I look at the map? I don't know where I am. It's really tough not knowing where you are. And maybe it's different for you, it's a little bit different for Linda and me. Um, uh, there's a, something feral in me that if I go and live in, if I go to a, a big city and it's my first time staying in the place, I want to walk around the block where I'm staying before I go to bed. I want to have a sense of orient. I want to know where I am. And we're in a series um, called Whole Life Worship. Don't forget, there's still study guides at the back if you want to um, um, rip into stuff during the week. One of the functions of us gathering together, gathered worship, is to help us know where we are and who we are and where we're going. And it's not always easy to answer the question, where are you? We, um, there's lots of answers available. Um, common answers, uh, so common we don't often notice them. Anyone um, recognize this and feel free to um, join in or uh, continue. The hot, our whole universe was in a hot, dense state. Then 14 billion years ago, expansion started. Wait, carry on. 
the Earth began to call, the autotrophs began to drool, Neanderthals developed tools, we built a wall, we built the pyramids, math, science, history, unraveling the mystery, it all started with a big bang. That is a story that is a story about where we come from and where we are. And it's a common story. There's lots of them. Uh, go back a bit of time. Uh, how about this? I'm not going to try the tune for this. So no one told you life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke. You're broke. Your love's dear. Love life's DOA. It's like you're always stuck in second gear and it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. And there are these stories. They're in us. And we take them for granted, but they actually tell us, they, they create the sense of who we are. Yep, they are answering the question, who are you, where are you, and what's next? And so it goes, I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you because I've been there before. I'll be there for you because you're there for me too. And it's not surprising that series was, that's Friends, was incredibly popular because look at the offer. I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you because I've been there before. I'll be there for you because you were there for me too. That's quite attractive. There are a thousand ways to define who we are, and Pākehā mostly we ignore it, um, and then you enter into a marae in New Zealand, and there's a welcome and a pōwhiri, the wailing karanga, the whaikororio, the songs, the haka, and then with um, a trembling heart you're asked to take part in a mihi-mihi, where you'll be expected to stand up and say who you are and where you come from. Who's done that? Who of us? You've got to figure out how do you answer that question? Where do you come from? Maori, Kaupapa asks us to acknowledge we're part of bigger stories. We have a family history. And they look for connections between your story and my story. Because they want to answer the question, where are you from, to figure out who you are. They look at this. And that is part of what we try and do in church when we come together. We sing some songs, hopefully with good words, that remind us about who God is and who we are in the light of that. We tell our own stories in family time, connecting with what's going on here. We hopefully are reminding ourselves of who we are and who God is because there's a lot of other versions out there. So one writer, I really like this, he says what we are doing is when we come together in gathered churches, we are restoring ourselves, putting ourselves into God's big story. Because that's where we live, at least that's what Christians believe. And actually, that isn't necessarily our default. Because I've, I now wear glasses, I have these graduated glasses, they're absolutely wonderful, things down here I can read, which is great, but when I put the music down here, it's out of focus. Yep. Lenses change how you see the world. They help answer us, who are we? When are we? So what is your phone or computer telling you? Who texts, me? who texts me? I put something up on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. Did anybody like it? Did anyone respond? We're looking for a sense of self-definition through it. It's kind of, um, and it does train us, this one. It trains us to look over the fence at the greener grass that someone else has to mow. We keep looking over, thinking, oh, and it trains us actually to, um, it's harsh, to lie by omission. We tell people about the great stuff. Yep. Now, I'm actually not advocating that you tell everybody about the terrible stuff on Facebook. Please don't. I don't think that's smart. But good friendships do more than the good news. 
We don't lie by omission. What about politics or ideology, left wing or right wing? Uh, Morgan was talking to me just before the service saying, Colin, you didn't mention Kim Jong-un and, uh, and Donald Trump's uh, uh, get-together. Because that might be hugely significant, and it might be. Uh, there you go, Morgan, I've mentioned it now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, one of our terrible things is American politics has this two-party system, and it has actually, um, it has this effect on us. The terrible thing is it, 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 it tries to pretend that you are either this or that. Right? And actually, we're not. We're not either left-wing or right-wing. We have lots of views, and they can shift. And to pretend that it's a binary thing is actually not helpful, and I think that's something America is struggling with now. What about fashion or style? Well, I don't feel qualified to comment on this, though just before the service, there were a number of us comparing the price that we'd paid in op shops for our clothes. So I'll move on from there. <laughs> style or lack of style. <laughs> Money or power or success. And blokes particularly um, tend to view themselves by what they do. It's a very common Christian question, what do you do? Because we like to define ourselves that way. Success. How does it shape you? So here I am, I'm the son of Ian Wood, who's a professor, and so I love science. I think science rocks. Actually, I, I'm keen to listen and learn from it. I'm a Pakiha immigrant, a bloke raised a Kiwi, a follower of Jesus. Turns out I'm a pastor. I am male and pale and privileged. And I have to watch that because I may not notice, and learning that has been shaping me. And I live at a time, and we live at a time, when big data... Interlinked devices and unfettered capitalism is reshaping how we live. Quite dramatically. What about you? Where do you come from? If you had to stand up right now, and I'm not going to make us all do it because time constraints are, how would you introduce yourself? Where are you from? And that question asks the question too, where are you going? And that is actually about worthship. These stories all the way along the line that we tell each other are about where we come from and where we believe we're going. And in our world, like I say, there's lots of versions, but the Christian story is supposed to shape us. And when we come together, I always hope there'll be much more story sharing than comes from the front. Because I don't know how it is for you guys, but your stories shape me. I hear somebody and how they experience this and they tell me about it and it becomes part of my library. And that's part of what we're supposed to do. You can think of it as if you were handed a movie script. It's quite a... Um, and you have a part in that, a character that behaves in a way that mostly makes sense and there's some rules about it. Well, what are the rules for that character? This is actually how we live. We live in a movie script. So, for example, if you're in a teen movie a teen horror, maybe don't go down that dark alleyway alone to check it out. It's, it's not likely to work out well. But what kind of script are we living? What are the rules of the thing? Well, there's, um, a, there's a theologian guy, a guy called Brueggemann, who says, here's what he thinks are the rules of our world. He says, first of all, it's technological. We think technology will solve everything. And that's reflected in how we spend our money and our solutions to things. We often quick solutions when life resists it. Someone gets cancer and our first response is, 
can you be fixed? You know, what's the operation? What's the outside thing we can do about it? He says, the second thing about our culture is it's therapeutic. We want everyone to be happy. How are you feeling? Scale of 1 to 10? Call out a number. 10 is very happy. 1, 2, 3, 5. I wimped. <laughs> we think that the goal of life is to be happy, or this is what society tells us. We think it's about having stuff. We are consumers. Having more stuff will make us happier. The goal of life is to have and use lots of stuff. And then the last, and this is slightly scary, he's an American writer. He says, our culture is about militarism, which means force, might is right. So if you can't get your way, you make it happen. And he says, that's what we see happening in countries. He says, that's to a large extent how governments work. In fact, what he says is it doesn't matter if you're left wing or right wing. That television, radio, YouTube is telling us constantly, these are how you should live your life. And then he says, but as a way of living, it's failed. And it's making us live unsustainably. It's making us far too busy. It's a, almost a disease. So what he says is that when you come together in church, we're trying to learn a different script. We're trying to relearn or relinquish this other one and restory ourselves, find ourselves in God's story. Because that's why you can abandon that force thing, because God changes people. We serve people, love people, but God changes them. So we're learning a different story. Now, with any luck, there might, should be some sound from this. Let's just see if it works. I didn't test this. My bad. So many things vying for me. Swarming, gathering, swirling, spiraling, fighting for my time, calling for my eyes, crowding my vision, demanding my energy, hungry for my life, shouting loud, storming my mind. A still, small voice beneath the noise undercuts the storm, whispering, urging, inviting. Come, worship, see. Come, worship, see. Worshipping you changes perspective. Lift our eyes to you. Our eyes made new. Everything filtered through the lens of your goodness. Scattered, we carry your presence with us, guiding our steps, changing atmospheres, navigating, discerning worldly strife, filling and sharing your holy life, understanding priorities right. In your light do we see light. When we come together, we're trying to learn how better to live and how to see the world and how to answer the question, well, where are we, who are we, where are we going? And that's why I love this all-age creed, because it places us in God's story. And the thing I particularly love about it, because it has creation and a fall, and it has Jesus and salvation, but it has a future. God will make all things new. That's a direction that we are going to. At least, so the Bible says. And it is your story too. It's our story, and that's what we're trying to do when we come together. So um, this is going to slide slightly academic for just a moment. One of the popular things they use in Bible colleges is they teach this. Um, they talk about a six-act play. God creates the world. That was. In God's big story, God made it all. 
And then there is a rebellion in the kingdom. Adam and Eve decide that they need to have an Apple computer. No, they, um, they take the only thing they weren't allowed to do. Yep, the only thing, and there's a fall. And then God chooses Israel and restoration is started. And then Jesus comes to accomplish restoration, to set things right. And then Act 5 is spreading the good news of Jesus, the church's mission. And Act 6 is return of the king. So, where are we? When are we? No, it wasn't a rhetorical question. Go on, call out an act. You've got one chance in six of being right. Five, that's where we live. And actually, I think it's incredibly important we hold on to there is a future direction, not all contingent on us. This is what God will do. God is going to restore, make all things new. Now, I'm going to read um, you a passage from Ephesians that um, speaks about this. Um, we're working off some material here and, and highlight some things in it, but I, I'll put this artwork up for you. This is an artwork in the Christchurch City Art Gallery called Underworld 2. It's by Tony Latour. And I stick it up there because, look, sometimes when Paul is writing, there's just so much going on. The language is so dense that I can't take it all in. It's just too much. And this part of Ephesians is a bit like that. But if you look at it for a while, what you'll start to see, you notice there's a few lightning bolts in there. If you're looking, there's a whole bunch of crosses. There's quite a lot of crosses in this. There's a number of side images of a head. It, when, when there's too much information, it's almost like you stand under a waterfall and you just take the bits you can hold. So I want us to read through a bit of Ephesians and notice what it says about us and Jesus and what that might do in terms of telling us something about who we are and where we are and where we're going. So this is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. If you've got a Bible, feel free to pull it up. I'm going to read it out and comment. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Well, I've... In green, I've highlighted things about us. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing which does your head in because you think, surely I'm missing some. He chose us. And he chose us with a direction to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then there's things in here that talk about our locality. Where are we located to Jesus? He chose us in Christ. This language that Paul keeps coming back, he chose us in him to be holy and blameless, not on our own, but in his sight. The stuff about why we sing about being in Jesus, close to Jesus, focus on Jesus, is there is this kind of directional stuff going on. Okay, carrying on. In love, he predestined us to adoption, to sonship, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. 
So what's it telling it about us? Well, we're adopted, chosen, that the grace has been freely given. You didn't have to earn it. That there is redemption through his blood. Sins are forgiven. I love this grace that he lavished on us. Lavished, what a great word. This isn't even the message translation. This is the NIV, lavished. Have you ever lavished anything? Don't know I have. I don't actually particularly like custard, but if you like custard, could you imagine pouring lavishing custard onto your dessert? Makes me go, ugh. But you know, God loves custard lovers too. And what does it tell us? Location to Jesus, through Jesus Christ, his pleasure and will, the praise of his grace, the one he loves in him again, located. And there's a bit of um, God's grace that he lavished on us. And there's some direction. This sonship to the praise has some direction, movement towards his grace. He's giving the grace and God has freely given us. There is direction in this language. Can you see how much is going on? It's huge. For me, it's still too much. You want to spend a long time on each bit, but I'm going to keep going. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And again, things made known to us, still some mystery. His good pleasure, purposed in Christ, everything under Christ. Unity to all under Christ. We are when, we're not there yet. But the Christian story is we do get there. God gets us there. I'm going to keep going. I won't promise not to go on for much longer. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Well, they already had the spirit. The spirit had been poured out on him, but Paul's prayer is more He's grateful for their faith, grateful for their love for all of God's people. And he's asking for God to let them learn more. Church is a place of learning, learning to know God. And he prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Actually, no, could you read this with me? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Again, there's language here about us being enlightened, knowing hope, knowing that we're called, and language about his inheritance, his power. We become his people and then Paul, this is the last bit that we're reading from here. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. 
and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Saying not just a little power, but huge amounts and still more about where we are going. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Um, We are a portion of Christ's body. Why do this? Because I don't know about you, but if you're reading this alone, this is relatively hard work to do. It's so dense. But we need to restory ourselves. And Paul, here are some things. Paul doesn't see you as powerless, us as powerless. He sees us being caught up into the movement of God. Paul doesn't see us as consumers, but partakers of what God has freely given. And God is embracing us. Paul doesn't see us as needing to be powerful. God has the power, but we're called to serve and to seek the pathway of love. And he keeps saying God is in charge. And if part of our meeting together is to restore and restory ourselves, well, look at the person next to you. That was slightly uncomfortable, wasn't it? Look at the person on the other side. We are restoring ourselves, reminding ourselves how we could live life. And here's how I think it works. We come together, it's somehow easier to do some of this stuff together. You and the Bible is really good. Actually, us and the Bible, there's something else going on there. What it means is that we as a church, we're trying to figure out what do we do. Well, a year and a half ago, we started thinking, well, should we look at 24-7 youth work? Would that be a good and godly partnership? And it would grow our young adults, and that would make a be helpful for mission and there's a school moving nearby and so we explore this and then in the end we came back as a church and said well should we do this does this feel like god and we did and i imagine before this that's how we ended up running a foot clinic and araha and move and groove and icons for boys which i know is not going now but icons for girls and anita's running toolbox courses and then there's craft group and you know just before the garage sale the friday night of the garage sale it's a lovely picture of church in action. Um, somebody came along and gave us this big box full of blankets that were all a bit scungy. So Linda took them home and washed them, and they weren't going to be dry for the garage sale, so they weren't available for the garage sale. Yep. Um, and then on Monday or Tuesday, somebody who works in our church who works with disadvantaged families came and said, hey, have we got any blankets left over from the garage sale? I've been visiting this family, and it's really cold. And it just happened. Oh, we have all these freshly washed, and they washed out quite well, didn't they? Blankets, that's the church in action. That's how church works. We're looking to make connections on who are we, where are we, and how do we live that as followers of Jesus. In my last church in Invercargill, I remember speaking about how um, archaeologists can tell which early buildings were churches because they have a room set aside to store grain because the early church was used as a mechanism to distribute food to the poor, much like we run a little bit of a a food bank. And all of the early church buildings have the silo set aside for food that they were to distribute. And um, so we spoke about that on a Sunday, and sitting in the congregation were two people who, at the end of the service, they just said to each other and said, why don't we do that today? And from that, they created a meal on a Thursday night in Invercargill. So if you're in Invercargill and you've got not much money, um, on a Thursday evening, you can go to Invercargill Central Baptist Church and they'll feed you. 
For the last eight years, they've fed somewhere between uh, 60 and 80 people. Um, because two people sat in the service and thought, actually, this might be how Christians might live. Let's have a go at it. This is what church is supposed to do. And if you read Acts, this is how the early church works. They're making it up as they go along. That When they're really complicated, they say, and here's this great line in Acts 15, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, and then they say not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements, which I won't unpack for you. They're kind of going, what do we do? This is part of our worship together. The comparing the notes, what do you think is going on here? For me, that means gathered worship starts when you walk in the doors and hopefully you say hello to somebody and they say hello back. And maybe you compare how much your shirts were at op shops. Or you, something of our life. That is part of our gathered worship. I think family time is part of a gathered worship. I think notices are. I hope when this service ends, you won't just disappear out the doors. You'll go and have a cuppa. You'll have a chat with someone because... This is our restorying. We're telling our own stories. It's like this and listening to say, God, what might we do? Now, another Sunday, we'll have a talk about numbers of people because there are constraints that happen when we have more than 20 people. But what I've seen in 20 years of working with church, well, 16 at least, is church actually communities, we do this. We're sitting there going, how do we live this out? And we need each other. Never entirely sure we do it the right way. And so that's why the songs that we sing, we want them to have good words. We want them to remind us of the God story. We want the words that say you are valuable, that remind us of who God is. And so when we finish today, we're going to sing Be Thou My Vision, full of old words, thou's and these, and other things that go in them. Um, But they're good words that place us that remind us that we are, at best, pilgrims, wayfarers, figuring it out as we go along. And as part of that, in a lot of churches, Baptist churches aren't that big on creeds. They often have a creed, and I have a bit of a creed for you to read. Can I have the team come up here? Because what we're going to do is to this is sing, be thou my worship. Um, and towards the, when the service finishes, do talk with someone. Don't feel you have to deep, jump into really deep, tough stuff. Because um, we don't. We ease our way through things. Make connections, listen for their story and God's story. In the meantime, you can read the red and I'll read the white. We believe in God the creator. Altogether, we believe in God the creator who spoke everything into being by his word and his spirit. The physical and the spiritual, the extraordinary and the everyday. Open our eyes, God, to see your big story. We believe in God, oh, we believe in God the just, who sees our mistakes and our fallenness, who judges sin and will right every wrong. Open our eyes, God, to see your big story. We believe in God the incarnate, who came as one of us in Jesus Christ, who knows our weakness and yet chose obedience. Open our eyes, God, to see your big story. We believe in God the Saviour, who reconciled all things to himself on the cross and commits us to the message of reconciliation. Open our eyes, God, to see your big story. I think there's one more. 
We believe in God, the restorer, who will come again to renew creation and calls us to play our part as we long for that completeness. Open our eyes, God, to see your big story. God, you have a big story for us, and we are part of it. And it's a good story, and we have great roles to take place in. Because we do want to see brokenness go. We want to see an end to how people are munted and torn apart from the consequences of our sin and screwed up behavior. We want to see a world where people live well, where we live sustainably, where there is peace and love holding hands. We want that and we cannot do it by ourselves. We need you working through us to use us, your body. Give us the confidence to try and figure us out. Open our eyes that we may see you for who you are and that as we step out, we may find you waiting with arms stretched to greet us. Amen.